Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer, This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello again, and welcome back to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. My name is Dr. Nove, and this is your VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground review for the week of May 27th. And our episode begins with Black Lotus making her way to Dario Cueto's temple. Chavo intercepts Black Lotus, and he says that Black Lotus should settle her problems inside of the ring for the whole world to see. He then tells Black Lotus that his grandfather was there the day Matanza killed her parents, and that the Guerreros hate the Cuetos almost as much as Black Lotus does. So it looks like Black Lotus has an ally, but of course, this is all contingent upon trusting a Guerrero. Ringside, we have Matt Stryker and Vampiro. They get us set up for tonight's episode, and then we go into the ring, and Melissa Santos is wearing a piece of jewelry that kind of looks like the cybernetic eye that I was saying that Big Rick should have, and she introduces Aerostar, who receives the jobber entrance, and I just want to say to my friend Aerostar, be careful, man. There's this guy named Pentagon, and he's coming to kill you. Aerostar kind of looks like Captain Falcon on this episode. I like the red and blue outfit. Johnny Mundo comes out, He is going to be showcasing his new heel attitude, and that's really the point of this opener match, to establish that Johnny Mundo is now kind of a jerk inside the ring. And Aerostar's a good pairing for this, because Aerostar is slightly smaller, and Johnny Mundo is able to work a little bit bigger than he normally would be able to against a guy like Hernandez, or even a guy like Alberto El Patron, who is actually taller than him and bigger than him. So, the match begins with Johnny Mundo locking up with Aerostar, and he pushes Aerostar off of him to the ground in a kind of dismissive manner. We're seeing some of that cocky attitude of Johnny Mundo. And then Johnny Mundo catches Aerostar with a leg trip and begins to kick and punch him on the ground, which draws booze from the crowd. That's the other point of this match, which is to establish that Johnny Mundo is a step ahead of Aerostar, and he knows it. So, we're going to get a little bit of that. He appeals to the crowd, sort of like, this is my world, and Aerostar sort of swoops on the ground. He doesn't get much of this match at all. The booze actually turned to cheers after that ground and pound stun with the crowd going, Go Mundo! Which is kind of a fun new chant. I haven't heard that. Vampiro, who is not always on board with Johnny Mundo, he's actually pretty on board with Johnny Mundo's new change of attitude. Aerostar gets a little bit of control of this match when he does a fancy head scissors takedown. I mean, everything with Aerostar's fancy, right? And he turns the tables on Johnny Mundo. Aerostar then tries to go for a traditional version of the 619, and then he misses. 
misses. He's able to connect with a kick, reeling Johnny Mundo, and connects with a modified 619, which instead of going in the middle ropes, he goes over the top ropes. Aerostar then goes outside the ropes, does a springboard splash, and gets himself a two count. Johnny Mundo returns to dirty heel stomping on Aerostar. And then Johnny Mundo, you know that running knee that I'm not super crazy about? He's stomping Aerostar on the outside of the ring, kind of on the apron, and Johnny Mundo runs and delivers this nasty-looking version of that running knee to Aerostar, which knocks Aerostar from the apron to the floor. Johnny Mundo is showboating, and he looks like he's about to go outside with a move through the ropes when Aerostar comes back in and hits Johnny Mundo with a drop kick to the knee. Aerostar then delivers a springboard senton from the second rope to the outside, which looked really good, and Aerostar's finally started to get some of that crowd support and getting back inside when Johnny Mundo comes in quickly and delivers a swift low blow kick, and then Johnny Mundo continues the ground and pound game that he has been working this whole match. Johnny Mundo picks up Aerostar, and then he punches Aerostar. Aerostar returns the punch, and then Johnny Mundo grabs Aerostar, and kind of like the Miz, delivers his backbreaker, and then instead of the Miz, who transitions into a neckbreaker, Johnny Mundo hits a Russian leg sweep. Johnny Mundo delivers, and this is actually my favorite move that he did in the match, a sweet MMA-like takedown, kind of just like a clinch, lift him up, throw him to the ground. I love those type of moves because they're plausible, and I, you know, suplexes are cool, and there's also sorts of great ones, but good-looking takedowns are just as effective and really convey a level of physicality, especially in the MMA-influenced kind of world that we're in now, in wrestling and, you know, just in sports in general. He gets Aerostar on the ground, and he continues to pound Aerostar, and then Johnny Mundo puts on a variation of the Anaconda Vice. It almost sort of reminded me of the Buffalo Sleeper, like if you could do a Buffalo Sleeper. No, not a Buffalo Sleeper. What am I thinking? Like the Million Dollar Dream. It was kind of like that combined with an Anaconda Vice. And then Johnny Mundo continues that ground and pound game, and Vampiro, this was the weirdest part of the match for me. Vampiro makes reference to the Vampiro drinking game, and then he says, and I guess they drink when I say brother, and says brother a whole bunch, which led me to wonder, is Vampiro listening to this show? I, I mean, if he is, I, I hope I hope they're still listening, and I hope that they have noticed that generally I approve of their commentary, and I think Stryker and Vampiro, while not the strongest commentators out the gate, are slowly getting better and better at their job, and that's really all you can ask for. So, you know, no no hate here, guys. I, it, but, you know, when it was a shit show some weeks and I wanted to listen to Black Sabbath, and I did listen to Black Sabbath that one episode. Now, granted, you don't need to convince me a whole lot to listen to Black Sabbath. I like Masters of Reality a whole fuckload. In, into the Void, man. Into the Void. That's the jam. I'm probably going to put that on this episode now. Anyways, point is, it wasn't so good early on. There are points in time where Vampiro does incoherent things with the English language. There was that one interview that was complete non sequitur. It was five questions, and they didn't even make any fucking sense. But that said, I think in recent weeks, Vampiro and Matt Stryker, Jack Stryker, Matt Stryker have done a pretty good job 
with commentary. So I just wanted to say that I don't want to. I'm not backtracking on anything. Everything I said of those prior prior episodes, I fucking own. And if you ask me about it and make me go back and listen to the quote, I'll probably still defend it. I'm not some guy who's gonna pussyfoot around here. I just want to say it was. It's good natured, and I like the show. And I think really all you can do at any position is just try to get better at your job. I know I've spent too much time on the Vampiro drinking game. With that said, if Vampiro wanted to come on one week and drink with me on the air. He has an open invitation to join the Voices of Wrestling, Lucha of the Hidden Temple podcast, anytime he damn well pleases. Moving on, Aerostar flips over the ropes, he does a springboard, and then delivers a knee to Johnny Mundo for a near fall. Johnny Mundo hits a big backbreaker, and then sets up Aerostar for the Findel Mundo. Aerostar does something pretty clever here, he grabs Johnny Mundo's leg as he's going up, and stops the Findel Mundo before Johnny Mundo can get up the ropes. And then Johnny Mundo gets him up, and hits him with a flurry of punches into the opposite corner. I love this, I think... Johnny Mundo did a really great job changing his style. The facials, eh, I'm not like entirely on board with the facials, but I love this not fan favorite style, to use how Matt Stryker put it last week. I like this heel style that Johnny Mundo is working, and I think it works really well. Aerostar looks like he's going to go for a tilt-a-whirl DDT, but it gets reversed into a Northern Light suplex that kind of goes into the corner, and then in kind of a weird-looking finish, Aerostar is selling his leg, which, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, he starts selling his leg for no reason. And then Johnny Mundo hits the Findel Mundo. And, you know, my thought was, you know, not for nothing, why sell your leg, have your leg up, and then he's got to do the Findel Mundo. It's just more of an opportunity for you to knee Johnny Mundo. Kind of a weird finish, but it did what it needed to do. Backstage, Vampiro is interviewing one of my personal favorites, Sexy Star. And on a quick note, I did not hear from anyone at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O in support of Sexy Star in the last week. So the intrigue with this character remains a mystery. All I did was hear from people who said that they didn't really get this whole deal with Sexy Star, just wasn't doing it for them. I'm glad I'm not the only one. At least you guys are vindicating my position a little bit here. So, Vampiro asked Sexy Star about the only match that she's had that I've liked, which was that Pentagon Jr. and Superfly and Sexy Star Trios match that they lost, where Pentagon Jr. teased snapping Superfly's arm and then eventually did in a later episode. Sexy Star says the Pentagon is nothing but a bully and that she's not afraid of him. Vampiro then asks, aren't you afraid of what Pentagon can do to you? Because, you know, he's been going around and, like, snapping the arms of jobbers left and right. We had that jobber battle royal with everyone with broken arms that Tejano broke up. I mean, this guy's left the body count. Sexy Star responds in non sequitur, but in a way that really makes me hate this character more by saying, would you be asking me that if I was a man? And the answer is yes. Let's talk to Vinny Massaro. Let's talk to Skinny Ricky. He's not doing so hot. They all got broken arms. Vimbero says, I'm worried that this guy is a psychopath and that he's going around snapping people's arms. Good call, Vampiro. He then asks about Superfly. You know, one of those men who had their arms snapped by Pentagon Jr. before you introduced gender into this equation. Sexy Star says that she has not talked to him since that match and that he's in rehabilitation. So I guess she knows that through the grapevine. She just, you know, asked some people and they're like, yeah, I think he's rehabbing. And she was like, oh, that's cool. Even though she probably does owe him a little bit of an apology, because Vampiro says that Sexy Star let Pentagon break Superfly's arm, which is not entirely the case, you know, she got ambushed by Pentagon first, but she definitely 
was not there to make the save and was sitting by watching as Superfly had his arm snapped. Sexy Star says that she will feel satisfied, or that she did feel satisfied, after defeating Pentagon in their last match. But she says that her job will not be done until women are not afraid. So, it's going to take a minute, because spiders and whatnot tend to freak women out. Vampiro says that Pentagon Jr. has a rematch from Dario Cueto, and it's going to be submission style. And he asks how Sexy Star is going to prepare herself for a match that advantages Pentagon. Sexy Star says that Pentagon has never seen her submission holds, and for that matter, neither have I, and that one way or another, this will end it next week, which I can only hope for the love of God. Back in the ring, Cybernetic Santos introduces Hernandez, who makes his way to the ring wearing a cross-laden tank top and shorts combo. And I just want to say this regarding crosses in wrestling. They should never be on heels, preferably just not on my TV show at all, because, you know, why bring religiosity into wrestling when it doesn't need to be there, and we can tell stories without having Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as a focal point, or even worse, as the heel of our story. And this is, I just want to say, coming from someone who is not religious at all, I just think that this is a bad idea, it's in poor taste, and Hernandez showcasing his religiousness is not this isn't the time or place for it that's what i'm trying to say so out comes our champion prince puma and the match begins and this match is structured a lot like the match between the cage they call man the man they call cage wherein cage was more powerful than prince puma and prince puma had to overcome the power of cage only cage is a much more adept high flyer and can do moves that are very impressive for a guy his size and Hernandez while able to get off his feet to a certain extent is just simply not nearly as interesting of a match Prince Puma goes off the ropes and attempts to do a Hurricane Rana and he gets quickly reversed by Hernandez who catches Prince Puma and then just flapjacks Prince Puma over his head and Prince Puma lands on his stomach this showcases Hernandez's power Prince Puma then gets Hernandez off of his feet and hits him with a quick drop kick to the head. Hernandez rolls to the outside. Prince Puma teases doing a move to the outside, but instead showcases his ability to do backflips and does a variation of Hernandez's strut, which draws the ire of Hernandez. Hernandez looks like he's going to go for his shoulder block from the apron to the inside, but gets caught by Prince Puma with the code breaker. That looked really good. And then Prince Puma delivers his springboard rolling senton from the third rope from the apron to the inside. Prince Puma sets up and connects with a springboard crossbody for a two count. After a big clothesline by Hernandez, Hernandez regains control and begins the heel style chop kick and punches to Prince Puma, and then Hernandez hits a big corner splash and does a senton after bouncing off of the ropes. Prince Puma attempts to do a sunset flip, however he's not able to get that sunset flip, and Hernandez looks amused, kind of holds out his wrist, looks like he's checking the time, and pulls Prince Puma up. However, the taunting and the amusement allows Prince Puma to recover and get an enziguri to Hernandez's head. Hernandez reverses an Irish whip into the corner and then throws Prince Puma overhead using a choke for a two count. 
Hernandez applies a Canadian backbreaker and then kneels out on it, kind of delivering a backbreaker slam to Prince Puma for another two count. Prince Puma gets caught going for a crossbody, is rocked like a baby, and then Hernandez delivers a sit-out powerbomb for another two count. The crowd is still not biting on all of this. Hernandez looks like he's going to deliver the border toss to Prince Puma when Prince Puma escapes. Hernandez then delivers a shoulder tackle to Prince Puma, which really puts over that shoulder tackle. Paul Paul Heyman would be very proud of the way that Lucha Underground has booked Hernandez's shoulder tackle because, you know, it's enough to obliterate Prince Puma and obliterate Drago. And, man, you don't want to get hit with this shoulder tackle by Hernandez. And that shoulder tackle knocks Prince Puma over the ropes and onto the floor. Conan then gets onto the apron which distracts both Hernandez and the referee. Hernandez's attention refocuses on Prince Puma, and then he attempts to do a flying crossbody plancha over the ropes, but receives a chair shot from Prince Puma, who is now fighting dirty, and the referee doesn't see it because he was distracted by Conan. As Hernandez attempts to get back onto his feet, Prince Puma delivers a handspring corkscrew plancha to the outside, which looked great, and then Hernandez recovers and delivers a border toss to the apron on the outside, which was not really sold anywhere near the effect that it should have been sold to. I mean, this is, if this is Kevin Owens, you're going to the hospital. If this is Hernandez, you're going to recover. And Hernandez looks like he's going to deliver another border toss, this time to the steel guard for the audience. I'd hope that if Prince Puma got hit with one of those, he'd sell it a little bit more. But Prince Puma is able to springboard over Hernandez, land on the steel guard for the audience, and deliver a flying, I don't know what the fuck it is, to Hernandez. Prince Puma then delivers a springboard 450 splash to the inside after he rolls Hernandez back inside, and he's able to get a two-count off of this, and then he calls for the 630, goes up for it, and misses. Ouch. Hernandez delivers an impressive-looking gut wrench slam for a two-count. Prince Puma starts selling his leg. Puma tries to catch Hernandez off of the ropes with a running bulldog, but Hernandez is too powerful and delivers another slam. Hernandez calls for a move from the top ropes, goes for a big splash that sort of is in the form of Jesus falling off of the cross. Again, geez Louise with the Christian symbology when you're a heel. Come on, chill it out, bro. He gets knees to the guts from Prince Puma, but also by way of me, and a super kick. Puma then delivers a jumping axe kick to the back of Hernandez's head. Puma gets racked as he's going up to the top rope. Hernandez looks like he's going to get a superplex and then gets stopped with a flurry of kicks. Eventually, one of these kicks fells Hernandez and then Prince Puma comes off the top ropes with the 630 for the win. You've seen this match before. This one was fine. It's nothing to write home about and calling it a double main event is probably doing a disservice to the level of quality that Lucha Underground has established for their main event matches over the last several months. So when Matt Stryker said that, I think it's clearly false. This is just a story advancement match. Prince Puma has cleared the hurdle of Hernandez, and now it's on to bigger and better things, and I hope this is the end of this feud. We move now to our main event, and this episode is perfectly laid out in the sense that it opens with a cutscene, and then it moves to a squash match, and it closes with a squash match, and ends in a cutscene. 
So we go to the ring, and Cybernetic Santos, with her metallic third eye, introduces Phoenix, the first participant in our main event, which is a death match. And in case you're not clear what a death match means in the context of Lucha Underground, it means that the only rule is that there must be a pinfall or submission that occurs inside of the ring. So it's really like a no disqualification match, but we're calling it a death match. It's not really the point. The point is that Mil Muertes is back and he's going to destroy Phoenix here for about 15 minutes. Mil Muertes returns and he looks fiercer than ever. He's in all black trunks and he's flanked by his three skull henchmen and Katrina. This is what a top of the card heel looks like. And what I think is so awesome with Mil Muertes is that he's not even that good in the ring. Like his matches aren't that good, but the character is so compelling that I, at least, don't really care that he's sort of underwhelming when we get into the ring with him because I'm so excited where the storylines go. And I know they're supernatural and perhaps a little too mystical for some, but I dig them. They work for me. Phoenix attempts a suicide dive out of the ring to no effect. Mil Muertes doesn't even leave his feet. Phoenix kicks Mill. He stuns him, goes back inside, and looks like he's going to do another suicide dive. And this time, he gets met with a fist by Mil Muertes. Mill then controls all of the early match. Phoenix kicks Mill, runs off the ropes, and then gets caught in a power slam. Phoenix attempts a few kicks and then gets caught in a nice stylized choke slam. Phoenix catches Mill as he goes off of the top ropes. And then Phoenix, because Mill is straddled, rope walks and delivers a kick. Mill falls to the outside. Matt Stryker hops on commentary, begins to talk about how the last time Mill fell to the floor, there was a coffin there. But that was then, and this is now. This new Mill Muertes, he's more badass than ever. Phoenix delivers a big stylized Asai moonsault from the third rope to the outside, which takes Mill off of his feet. Mill gains control with a big clothesline and then hits Phoenix over the head with a chair and then kicks him in the leg, or I'm sorry, hits him in the leg with a chair. I want to talk about this spot real quick because if you're going to do a big chair shot to the head, it needs to mean something. And this entire sequence that comes up here happens very quickly and Phoenix turns the tables on Mill and really after getting hit over the head with the chair you should not have your quote-unquote senses about you and phoenix certainly does so let's recap here mill gets a big clothesline hits phoenix over the head with the chair and then hits him in the leg with the chair he bashes phoenix against the guardrail once he bashes phoenix against the guardrail twice and then the third time phoenix reverses mill and bashes mill against the guardrail and hits him with a flurry of kicks again this is all right after taking a chair shot this is not really an opportune time for turning the table. So, you know, you have the unprotected chair shot, right? Okay, I'm not crazy about it. I think we know so much about concussions and head trauma at this point that it's a little bit barbaric or a little bit ICP gathering of the juggalos to be hitting each other over the head with steel chairs in 2015 now that we know so much about that. That said, I am also in the Joe Lanza camp of... That, you know, this is these guys' bodies, their bodies. They can do what they want with it, these guys. I'm not crazy about the grammar on that, but it's their bodies. They can do what they want to do with them. But if you're going to do this, and this is sort of where Chris comes back into the mix, if you're going to do this, you've got to make it worth something. 
I want this chair shot to look like bloody fucking murder. And Phoenix is out there and down for a good 10, 15 seconds. And the chair shot happens, and then we're right back to throwing him up against the guardrail. And then Phoenix turns the tables on Mill. And then Phoenix delivers a big double stomp to Mill from the guardrail. The camera angle shows you how the move is done, though, so I wasn't crazy about that. But I get why they chose that angle. It's just, it was unfortunate, right? You can sort of see if you watch it. Phoenix's feet sheer away. On that note, I think this match is pretty skippable. Phoenix rolls Mill back inside of the ring. Mill kicks out at one. Phoenix gets arm dragged out of the ring. This just exhibits Mill Muertes. And again, limited guy in the ring, but you know, Phoenix bumps around for him, makes him look like a million dollars. Mill goes up high and delivers a cross body to the outside. That was nice and certainly a little bit beyond the expected with Mill Muertes. I like that. Mill bashes Phoenix up against the table, the announce table, and then delivers yet another chair shot to the head. Mill Fireman carries Phoenix up the stairs to one of the up-high brawling areas near the entrance area. It's sort of catty corner from Dario Cueto's office. And teases like he's going to throw Phoenix from up high and places Phoenix in a powerbomb position long enough for the crowd to soak it in. And then he powerbombs Phoenix through the roof of this part of the building that hasn't appeared on camera before this episode. It's kind of like a storage area. And then Mad Striker sells the seriousness the seriousness of this and the show goes to a commercial Marty Elias is screaming we need keys let us in we need all this help after we come out of commercial break Mill's disciples break open the door and they bring Phoenix back to the ring Mill Muertes does a flatliner and that ends our squash match it's a long match I broke it down for you but there's not a lot here and if you skipped it I don't blame you What's the big takeaway from this match, or what was the point of this match? And the mission was accomplished. Mil Muertes is now at level two. If he was at level one before, and level one was pretty badass, now we've moved Mil Muertes to level two Mil Muertes. So all of those losses before, forget about those. Phoenix getting that win in the past, that was then, this is now. This new Mil Muertes is nothing to fuck with. So after the match, Dario Cueto, he is with the crew, and he says that someone has to pay for their many failures. So hopefully it's going to be Mr. Cisco because he kind of sucks. No, it's not Mr. Cisco. It's Bale. Cisco and Castro immediately betray Bale, decide it's going to be him, and hey, he's in the middle, so that's pretty easy. And they drag Bale up to the cage where Matanza is kept, and then Matanza eats his fucking face. <laughs> Sabbath's Masters of Reality. It's a good album. Check it out. Chavo is in the office with Dario Cueto, and he says that Black Lotus is back to kill Matanza, and this time she has been trained by you-know-who. Dario Cueto looks shocked and says to Chavo, it was your job to take care of her. 
Chavo says that he struck a deal with El Dragon Azteca for protection from Mexico, again, presumably all of it, and that the Guerreros are really only loyal to the highest bidder. So, you know, if Dario Cueto wanted to make an offer, he would be willing to hear him out. Cueto says that he'll offer protection from Mexico, and then he inquires what Chavo really wants. Chavo smiles, and we begin our show. And we begin this show with Jack Evans versus Arhenis. They both come to the ring, and then Dario Cueto comes out of his office and says, Arhenis, you're from a cool family, sure. And maybe he didn't see Sin Cara's run in WWE, but hey, that's a different story for a different day. But Arhenis, you kind of suck, and no one likes you. And then he says to Jack Evans, Jack Evans, you're impressive, but in your debut, you still lost. So why would I care about this match? Dario says that he's going to make this match interesting. The winner is going to get one of our seven medallions. See, they're coming into play and they're being spaced out. It's all coming out like I thought it would come out. I'm very excited about this medallion storyline. I have to contain myself a little bit whenever I talk about it. We begin our match and Jack Evans mysteriously wants a handshake. And our Hennis, the chump that he is, he bites and then he gets kicked in the gut because Jack Evans is Jack Evans. He's kind of a, a man with swagger. One might refer to him as Jack Swagger or maybe one wouldn't because that guy hasn't even been seen on television in months. Evans gains control and he's in control for a little bit of this match until he goes for a Hurricane Rana and then that gets reversed into a powerbomb. Evans goes off of the ropes, gets springboarded, and Arhenis kicks him low. Evans goes to the ground and screams, That was my testicles! Jack Evans is very good at the in-ring talking and making sure that the mics pick him up. Jack Evans runs off of the ropes and grabs the ref and uses the ref to deliver a cheap shot kick. And then Jack Evans performs several kicks, including an axe kick, to fell Arhenis. And then, a la Hukushi Jinzei Shinsaki, who is one of my favorite wrestlers, he delivers the prayer and then does what well, Jinzei Shinsaki Hakushi would do a moonsault. He performs a standing corkscrew moonsault splash because this Jack Evans guy is kind of a fancy pants and gets a two count. Coming off of the ropes, Evans looks like he's going to get caught in a standing fireman's carry, but he transitions that into an armbar. It's a good-looking armbar, too. It's kind of like a reverse armbar. Sort of is reminiscent of a Kimura. Arhenis gets himself to the ropes. Jack Evans then delivers a cartwheel back elbow to Arhenis. It's actually a handspring, not a cartwheel, but, you know, who's counting? Evans attempts another handspring move, and then he gets caught in a German suplex. Arhenis dropkicks Evans to the outside and then performs a dive to the outside. Then Evans goes off of the apron and delivers a sloppy-looking Hurricane Rana to Arhenis. He looks like he's going to run off the apron and deliver another one, but Arhenis throws him up against the guardrail. We get back into the ring, and while Matt Stryker and Vampiro are waxing philosophical about why Justin Borden is called lefty, it's because he's left-handed, guys. Come on, it's not that hard. It took me a second. That's why Matt Stryker calls him lefty, if you were unclear this far into the series. Arhenis gains control and places Evans on the top ropes, and then delivers this cool one-armed driver that they didn't call well, and I wish I knew the name of it, and if someone knows the name of it, Again, feel free to hit me up at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. I hadn't seen it before. I thought it was real creative. Jack Evans catches Arhenis with a backslide, which he transitions into a bridge over the body, shifting all of his weight over the body. This is enough to get the 1-2-3, and at the end of the match, we have a very distraught Arhenis. 
After that, we have Davari and Big Rick backstage. Davari comes up to Big Rick, and he says that they have a title shot for the trio's title, but they need a third. Big Rick says, hey man, how about my cousin? You know, the Mac. And then Cage shows up and he says, why would you want the Mac when you could have the man they call Cage? And proceeds to beat the shit out of the Mac like that little bio package that we saw for Cage low those many episodes ago where Cage is beating up people all Walker, Texas Ranger style. And then afterwards... The Mac is laid out on this locker that Cage has thrown him through, and Big Rick looks at his cousin, and Davari shouts, leave him, and Big Rick walks off, again teasing that ultimate turn that Big Rick will have, realizing this crisis of conscience, but we haven't gotten there yet, and we're also beginning to build the Mac as a sympathetic character, so hopefully there will be some in-ring work to pair with this backstage work that we've seen. In another locker room, we see Black Lotus, and she's changing out into her ring gear when Chavo comes up. Chavo says to her that he's talked to Dario Cueto, and that her first match is tonight, and then they're going to get the key, and then he's going to let out Matanza, and then she's going to face him in the ring, and all of this is bullshit because betrayal. Chavo goes for a punch. Black Lotus swings out a locker door and stops Chavo's fist with that locker door, and then starts getting the upper hand on Chavo until CNC Security, that's Cortez and Cisco, in case you're not following me here, who are also apparently keeping Chavo safe from all of Mexico, so good luck with that, Chavo. CNC security come in, and the numbers game does eventually catch up to Black Lotus. Chavo grabs a kendo stick, hits Black Lotus. We see it cut to black and white. Chavo looking all sinister. Chavo's a heel of heels in this company now. And then we see Chavo brandishing handcuffs. Oh, that Chavo. Never trust a Guerrero. Up next, the trio's titles are defended by Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico against the team that was made earlier in this episode, Big Rick, Cage, and Davari. Cage and Angelico begin. Angelico starts off with some speedy offense until Cage catches him with a hip-toss backbreaker. Angelico gets a big kick and a knee, and then Son of Havoc blind tags in. Son of Havoc and Angelico are arguing about the blind tag when Cage comes in and double clotheslines them. Davari then tags in. Son of Havoc gets a head scissors and delivers a handspring elbow into the corner. Son of Havoc does his trip and flip combo, as I like to call it, the leg trip and the moonsault, and then Son of Havoc gets an elbow off of the ropes after catching himself in the third rope. It kind of looks like an arrow. It's a neat little spot. And then Angelico blind tags in because he's still pissed off about the Son of Havoc blind tag from earlier. Cage tags in. The heels are working well in this match, and you'll see some real good synchronicity between the team. Angelico delivers running forearms to the heels, and then he gets kicked off of the Irish whip by Davari. He hits Davari, but he gets caught in a gorilla press power slam by Cage. Big Rick tags in. He starts delivering elbows to Angelico and is, you know, just pounding him like a heel would. And Ivelisse is fed up now with Angelico and Son of Havoc, so she goes and she sits down in the front row. Davari tags in. He does some stuff. I didn't even write down the stuff that he did because he's Davari. His character at this point is that he's not a good wrestler. He's a guy with money who can buy people who can do his wrestling for him. Big Rick tags in. He picks up Angelico for a suplex. This is a neat spot. And then Cage tags back in while Big Rick is still holding up Angelico in the suplex and then hands off the suplex to Cage. Cage then does a squat and he drops Angelico. This was awesome. Cage goes for his pump handle face buster, but it's reversed and Angelico tries to make his way to the corner for the tag to Son of Havoc. He gets caught in a backdrop that's... 
I'm sorry, a backdrop that is transitioned. He gets caught in a backdrop that is transitioned into a powerbomb, and Angelico reverses another powerbomb attempt with a schoolboy and delivers a flurry of kicks. He counters Cage's discus clothesline with a knee, and that leads to the double down. Cage tags back in Big Rick, who cuts off the ring. Davari wants a tag, he gets the tag, he comes in and delivers a very, very showy back body drop. He then has Big Rick rev up for the clothesline. Davari looks like he's going to hit Ivelisse, when all of a sudden, Tejano runs out and he hits Big Rick with the bell of the bull rope. And that allows Son of Havoc to eventually get the shooting star press on Davari for the win. This match was perfectly watchable, but I am getting a little bit tired of Son of Havoc and Angelico having to do all the work for Ivelisse because Ivelisse is injured. Now, obviously, I understand that Ivelisse is actually injured and that this is what they have to do. I just think that it has shortened the shelf life of this title run because there's only so many fluky finishes that Lucha Underground can pull out of their bag of tricks before this title run gets stale. And for me, it's gotten a little stale. I'm ready for some heels to take out Son of Havoc and Angelico after they make a valiant stand but are unable to do it. Maybe Mil Muerte's three henchmen or something. Back in Dario Cueto's office, we see Chavo, and he is flanked by Cortez Castro and Mr. Cisco, and they present to Dario Cueto Black Lotus. Dario Cueto is pleased, and he says that he has a plan for Black Lotus. She will stay across the way from Matanza so that he never gets lonely again. And I'm reminded of a line from Spinal Tap, that there's a very fine line between clever and stupid. With those words of wisdom in mind, we move now to our main event, which is a submission match between Sexy Star and Pentagon Jr., and what I can only hope is the conclusion of this angle, because these matches have not been very good. The live audience has never fully accepted Pentagon Jr. as a heel, and as such, at various points throughout this feud, the crowd's been splitting on Sexy, and that's very much on display in this match. And it's a failure of both Sexy and storytelling, and the reason I say that is... At the end of the day, Pentagon Jr. is a guy who's going around snapping everybody's arms of his own volition and wants to fight women. It shouldn't be that hard to make sure the crowd is very solidly in one camp, and they're clearly not. More troubling than that, though, is that at the end of this feud, both participants look weaker. Sexy Star looks like a goob who wrote a check that her ass couldn't deliver on after specifically requesting a submission match despite the fact that she doesn't really do submissions. That looks pretty stupid. On the other hand, Pentagon Jr., he lost to Sexy Star in their last match because he didn't take her seriously and had to do a ton of selling this week that also made him look goofy and took his formidability down a few notches. With that said, coming out of this feud, it looks like they have rehabilitation angles, at least for Sexy Star. I guess they think that Pentagon's benefited from this angle somehow, some way. Sexy Star will be able to do her feud with Superfly, where presumably she'll get back on track. Pentagon Jr., you could get him back on track with a couple of squash matches, but there's certainly a danger of going to the well once too often with Pentagon Jr. and the squash matches. They were getting a little old before. And beyond any of that, if this feud was successful, you wouldn't need to rehabilitate the winner of it. Pentagon Jr. makes his way to the ring, and he is wearing a Peros Del Mal shirt in tribute to the late Pero Aguayo Jr., who died shortly before these tapings. Sexy Star makes her way out, and then we go to a commercial break. We come back from the commercial, and the crowd is chanting for... 
Pentagon Jr. And Pentagon Jr. cuts a sexy star specific variation of the same promo he cuts more or less every single week. And he can do that. Why? Because he's Pentagon Jr. and Cerro Miedo. Come on, you should have seen that coming. Sexy star attacks Pentagon Jr. from behind and our match begins. Pentagon Jr. quickly regains control, delivering a swift kick to Sexy Star's head, and then he attempts his arm breaker. Sexy's able to get out, and she applies a front chancery that I would point to as Exhibit A of defying my suspension of disbelief, because this looks ridiculous. Because Sexy Star is an order of magnitude smaller than Pentagon in every respect. She is shorter than Pentagon. She is skinnier and lighter than Pentagon, and she's less powerful than Pentagon. Pentagon could very clearly just stand upright and toss her off effortlessly. After far too long in this sequence, Pentagon Jr. is able to regain control, delivering a leg drop to Sexy Star's arm. Sexy Star is able to catch Pentagon Jr. with a Hurricane Rana that sends Pentagon Jr. to the outside, and she does a move through the middle of the ropes to the outside. Sexy, at this point, you're expecting her to pick up the tempo, maybe do a few more high spots to the outside. Instead, Sexy Star starts working really slow, which is curious given the fact that she's a smaller wrestler and she has the size differential and you'd expect her to be making up that size differential with a difference in tempo. That's not going to happen here. Instead, Sexy Star is going to slowly beat Pentagon Jr. around the ring like a heel would using methodical chops and kicks in the ring post. When the match returns to the ring, Sexy Star puts on a submission hold that isn't even convincing enough for Matt Stryker to sell it as a real submission hold. Instead, Matt Stryker sells this as a wear down hold, and that's good enough. Pentagon Jr. then puts on a tombstone bow and arrow-like submission maneuver to Sexy Star. This looks really awesome. Pentagon transitions this into a shoulder carry that he takes his time with because he doesn't take Sexy Star seriously, and it gets reversed into an arm submission that looks horrible because Sexy Star does not appear to put this on correctly. The elbow in the submission hold is not being bent in the wrong direction. What I mean is it is not being hyperextended. It is being bent in the direction that the elbow naturally goes. Even Matt Stryker calls this, and he does a nice job trying to work this blown spot into the commentary, but there's really only so much you can do. Pentagon Jr. delivers a big super kick that drops Sexy Star clean, and Pentagon Jr. showboats. Pentagon Jr. then applies a really cool submission to the legs that looks kind of like a sharpshooter done with his arms. He then turns this over, sits out, and applies a leg scissors on it. This would have been an awesome spot if Sexy Star had sold this well. She did not. She sold this like shit. And then another super kick drops Sexy Star, who then rolls to the outside. Pentagon Jr. misses the baseball slide, and Sexy Star delivers a crossbody from the guardrail, which elicits a This Is Awesome chant? Whatever, guys. Sexy delivers a spine buster and transitions it into a single leg crab. Superfly, kind of looking like the lost Uso with his new face paint, comes in, turns heel on Sexy, who is initially excited to see him, although really, why, even though she hadn't been keeping up with him at all, and then he feeds her to Pentagon Jr., who does a package pile driver. Pentagon Jr. applies a surfboard, Pentagon Jr. wins, and he looks like he's going to go for another arm breaker, but then Vampiro makes the save, stares down Pentagon Jr., but backs down. Backstage... In our cutscene, we see Vampiro, and he's staring into a mirror, and lines Vampiro has said 
on commentary in past episodes play back in his head as he rocks back and forth and starts headbutting the mirror saying that dark things are coming. That'll bring us to the end of another episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Not the best two episodes of Lucha Underground, but hey, we got through them and we learned something. Actually, I didn't learn anything. You probably didn't learn anything either. Fuck. At C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. Novembrino is my name-o. Hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to chat with you about wrestling, WWE, TNA, New Japan, it don't matter, or of course, Lucha Underground. That is what I'm here to talk about. Hey, do all your WWE shopping. If you want to buy any of the 25 new Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe t-shirts, you know a great place to do that is through VoicesOfWrestling.com. And we all get a kickback of that, and believe you me, we appreciate that. So, go to VoicesOfWrestling.com and do your WWE shopping through our website. Also, if you've got the time, we would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. It helps out all the shows, not just my horrible show, but the good ones like Joe and Rich's and The Big Show. Those guys are doing good stuff. Help them out. I want to thank you all so much for listening. It's always a pleasure. And until the next one, cheers. Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. Get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa Automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa Automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 19.